This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to Draft Deeper on the No Ceilings NBA podcast feed. Thank you so much for joining us on this wonderful Monday morning episode. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, Stephen Gillespie. Max Bull is not able to join us on today's episode. He's got a lot going on, but nevertheless, that's that's just been the mantra for Draft Deeper this season. It's It's been when the three of us can get together, it's an awesome episode. When it's just two of us, we're still keeping it rolling and we're keeping the conversation interesting, fun, and engaging as always. Steven, how are you doing? I, I know that, that that's not going to change on this episode. I think we're gonna we're gonna get into a few hot button topics. What's going on? Man, I'm uh I'm doing awesome. March Madness is always one of my favorite times of year. Um, and ever since being, you know, included into no ceilings over the past two years now, it's just been even better. So I'm excited for everything that we've had going on. I'm excited that now we get to ramp up with tournament time, which means that here soon it's going to be Intel season and interview season. Like there's just so much going on um, at, at no ceilings at large, but in draft deeper too. And I'm just excited for all the stuff that we have coming down the line. We're trying to schedule new player pieces that we're going to be releasing over the next few months. We're getting interviews lined up with all sorts of players, coaches, other scouts, people in the industry, yeah, there's there's a lot of coordinating to to go on, but that's what makes it so fun, right? The the number of people we get to engage with in this space is is pretty astonishing at times, and it's a blessing. And I'm very thankful for the opportunity we have, not just us at Draft Deeper, but also as a No Ceilings Collective as a whole. So yeah, if you aren't locked into NoSeilingsNBA.com, please make sure you're subscribed over there. Yes. Our own page just released another banger of a piece. On the day we're recording this, we're getting into this podcast Sunday afternoon, right before the the big slate of games with the tournament on Sunday. But she did a piece on Riley Kugel that I thought was incredibly enlightening. Somebody Mm -hmm. who I didn't think we envisioned would be in the draft conversation for 2023. But nevertheless, he had a stretch of I think it was like five, six games at the end of the year for Florida where he he just came on in a big way, showing his scoring ability, six foot four, six foot five combo guard. Make sure you read Paige's piece because she breaks down not just the scoring impact, but also some of the pick and roll playmaking, some of the defensive flashes he's shown in Florida. So make sure you check out her piece. But what Steven and I want to get into today, we're obviously going to talk about the tournament to an extent, right? There are two teams that have made a lot of noise in regards to prospect conversations in this tournament. That would be Duke and Arkansas. So we're going to run down those teams and talk about some of those prospects. But there are a few conversations that Steven and I wanted to have on this episode because a lot has happened since we've really gotten the opportunity to sit down and record an episode mm-hmm. of draft deeper. I have a fun podcast coming out on the feed tomorrow, a little home and away show with Chuck over at chucking darts. We're going to talk about 
some of the matter that we're getting into to start off this podcast, but the Scoot Henderson and Brandon Miller debate has been an absolute whirlwind, Steven, since you and I have actually talked last and in podcast form. If everyone was on the No Ceilings playback stream the other day that, that we did with a bunch of us, I know we were getting into some of those thoughts and we were having some debate, but the opportunities we have to bring that conversation to draft deeper. We have to take advantage of that, right? We, we have to kind of yeah. give the people what they want. If this is the only place in, in, in reality where they find you and I talking about this stuff, Stephen, we need to make sure that those people are locked in and engaged as far as how do we feel about that debate? Where do we see this going and playing out as we inch closer to the 2023 NBA draft in June? This conversation, it, it, kind, of pe- it kind of peaked up out of nowhere, Right. Like I I didn't expect this to be taking place when it did. Mm -hmm. But the reason why it's taking place, Stephen, is that a lot of smart people in the industry have taken notice as to what's working in the NBA. What are some of the trends? What are the types of players that NBA teams are looking for? And they are gravitating towards the type of player that Brandon Miller is as a Mm -hmm. wing slash forward at Alabama, six foot nine. 200 pounds, 19 points per game, 8.2 rebounds, 44% from the field, 39 and a half from three on 7.4 three-point attempts per game, and then 85.7% from the line. So you're seeing shooting ability. You're seeing high-level feel in terms of the improvements he's made as a ball handler this year. You're seeing the improved ability to attack the rim and ultimately finish once he gets downhill. And then the overall scoring impact, how he's been durable, how he's played in so many games for Alabama this season, there's becoming fewer and fewer questions in terms of, is he going to be an NBA guy who you can count on five, 10 years down the road? And he's going to be doing a lot of the things that you would expect from a player taking that high in the draft. And then you throw in the fact that the icing on the cake, 89th percentile in total offense, 89th percentile in total defense, this, this two way impact we're going to break down some of those individual pieces to his game but you have to compare that to what scoot harrison's done in the g league ignite which is he's played in 24 games himself i get it he hasn't been quite as durable as brandon miller he's had some injury trouble but in those games he himself has averaged 17.6 points per game 5.1 rebounds 6.4 assists to 3.3 turnovers over a steal per game 44 percent from the field 54.9 shooting percentage 26.8 usage rate. So he has played up a step in competition in terms of playing in the G League versus playing in college. He's taken over a lion's share of the usage. He's had to do more on the court for that team. And he's done it really for going on two years now, right? I understand that he wasn't the shoe-in starter for Ignite last year. He came on about midway through the year. He got there around when the G League showcase was out in Las Vegas last season. But the minutes that he did play for that Ignite team, he was incredibly impactful. And he he, he had internet a buzz, right? And, and, and everyone wanted to talk about Scoot. Well, he wasn't even eligible for the 2022 draft. He's eligible now. In my opinion, and, and I'll be curious to get your thoughts in a second, Stephen, he really didn't do too many things that would make me want to come off of his draft stock. If anything, they've more so solidified where I am on him as a prospect, but two, two fascinating guys to talk about and discuss, Stephen, I will let you take this conversation where you want it to go first before I start to uh, give a little bit of a rebuttal possibly, or maybe add to, to where you want to go. 
Yeah, so I want to first off, I want to start off by saying that what you said earlier, that enough intelligent people are talking about it now to where it really is a conversation as opposed mm -hmm. to just like a troll take that sometimes just finds its way into the draft community. You know, once when Corey Tolaba is on a playback and is talking about how he can envision that Brandon Miller might be a better option on some teams compared to Scoot Henderson, I really have to just kind of put whatever feelings or pride that I have in saying that Scoot is a clear number two. I have to table that and listen because sure. if you, if you just hold on to one take all year long, like you were you were shutting an opportunity off to grow and to be better as a scout, and that that applies to all areas of life anyway. But Nathan, there's there's so much that is built into this argument. Like as you were as you were going off on your beautiful soliloquy, um, talking about all the aspects that you have on how scoot has performed how brandon has performed things of that nature it just i just had like an inrush of thoughts about how early in the season we had the whole scoot versus victor Wembanyama conversation right and how in any other draft class scoot goes number one and that was like yeah. a, a clearly drawn clearly defined line in the sand take that listen it's not scoot's fault that he is in the same draft class as another generational type talent and that had been like the one conversation that we had where now later on in the year, it's like, well, is Scoot really the second best prospect in this class? So it feels like all season long, we have had to sit back and listen to why Scoot isn't as good as X player. And I don't know why I have, I feel like I have like a personal interest in that conversation. And, and just being honest, like it kind of, it kind of pokes at me a little bit to where I'm like, I have like anger, as like one of my initial reactions when I hear this, I'm like, Scoot is clearly like a very, very good player. And all season long, we have had to listen to people poke at weaknesses instead of lifting up other players, right? Like Victor Wimbenyama is talented enough to where you don't have to talk down about any sort of negativity that you could see in Scoot Henderson's mm -hmm. game, but we've done that all year long. Now with Brandon Miller, like we don't talk about, I have not heard a credible source talk at length about the negatives that exist in Brandon Miller's game during this conversation, but we've had to listen to how we've had to listen to well, how well they did. They did talk about them earlier early in the, in the year. Yes. But now they're gone. Right. And that was another thing I was going to point out is that how earlier in the year, Brandon Miller was like too old to be taken too high in this draft, right at 20 years old. And now that's gone away or his finishing ability. And to his credit, he's become better as a finisher. Um, that was a big thing earlier in the season. But since the the immersion of this Scoot versus Miller conversation, we haven't had too many conversations where we're like looking at weaknesses in Brandon Miller's game. But now we're like overly critical to Scoot to the point to where I feel like we're almost making things up by saying he hasn't improved much as a playmaker or you can find a six foot two point guard at any point in a draft or a free agency or, or anything like that towards like you're kind of overdoing it to lift up Brandon Miller in this conversation. And then Nathan, finally we have the, the G league versus NCAA where, you know, Javoni was on um, ESPN talking about how scouts are more comfortable by at looking at college players, even though we know that there is a significant 
change in the level of competition, even the the parameters of the court change, right? Like Brandon Miller is a great three-point shooter in college. He probably will be in the NBA, but there's just so many variables that are going to change from that from going to the SEC to the NBA. Whereas, yeah, we saw it with Jabari Smith, who arguably was a better shooter in college last year than Brandon Miller has been this year. Are yeah, are, are we sure that that three-point percentage is going to translate immediately? Or is it going to take some time as it has for yeah. Jabari Smith? Who now, now we're seeing him in his last five or six games. He's looked like the Jabari Smith that we saw at Auburn. But every rookie goes through an adjustment period. It's not just a clean one-to-one transition like you're talking about. Yeah, is he going to be able to take dudes off the bounce the same way in a significant upgrade in competition? Whereas Scoot, we've seen, we have seen improvements as a three-point shooter. We have seen improvements as a playmaker. We have seen improvements as a defender. And in his physical stature, right? Like, obviously, he's not, like, getting taller, but he's getting stronger. And he's being able to, you know, absorb contact in the G League, which we can sit here and have the conversation where it's not quite NBA-level competition, but there are NBA players that play in the G League, right? So he's going up against a significant upgrade in competition to Brandon Miller. And I just think that the the conversation that we're having between these two, it needs – it's more nuanced than I think people are giving it credit for, especially when considering Scoot Henderson. Like Metcalf and I were having a conversation about how hard it is to for everyone to be able to watch a G League at night game when we were doing a playback versus UCF and and Florida. Yeah. Right. Like you could watch that. Anybody could have watched that game. But only the people that really want to do like the homework on Scoot Henderson, like they have to try a little bit harder. You got to be looking at right level. YouTube streams. Yep. Like, yeah, it's it's different. Yeah. Yeah. So all of that bakes into the reasoning of like, if you want to sit here and have the conversation, Nathan, that it's a wings league, like even that's more nuanced. Like are wings safer or does that mean that like you have a higher chance of a wing being a star? Like, I think that conversation is even a little bit more nuanced than we're giving it credit for. Whereas like you can say you can find a six foot two guard, but, can you find this six foot two guard, Nathan? Can you find Scoot Henderson in any draft? I, I really don't think that you can. Like you can't find a franchise altering point guard. And and guess what, Nathan? There's guys like Damian Lillard, Steph Curry, John Morant, Jalen Brunson. Like there are a number of guards that are underneath that like six foot four mark that still have like great roles in the NBA. Chris Paul, Kyle Lowry, like there are, there's a whole lineage of these like undersized guards that sure like the the possibility of them hitting might be a little bit lower than a wing because wings can play like three positions in today's NBA but if you get the right guard you still have like a face of the franchise type player and that and that's what I think Scoot Henderson is there's a number of different directions that I can take this conversation and I hope Stephen that, that what I'm about to say is is said concisely and precisely and it's said in the correct order and it and it makes sense in terms of a yeah. narrative flow. That that that's my goal, that's what I'm praying for as I'm about to dive into this topic on this podcast episode. So, it's hard. <laughs> you mentioned the notion that it's a wings league in the yeah. NBA. To an extent that is 100% correct. At the end of the day, the players who are deciding whether championships are won or lost throughout the majority of history are were certainly big men back in the day, right? These centers who were just physically dominant and opposed were opposing over anyone who went against them. 
the Kareem's, the Bill Russell, the Bill Russell's. So you, you can go on and on down the list. Hakeem, when he won a championship with the Rockets, like these guys with size who are also incredibly skilled in their own right on either or both sides of the ball. Then the NBA game started to change. It became a, a very perimeter takeover oriented league. And there have been a number of guards who have done well, who have won championships, who have propelled their teams to playoff level success. A few of them happen to have come from the Detroit Pistons, but, but there have been others. There's been someone incredibly special like a Steph Curry, for example. But mm-hmm. for the most part, it has been bigger guards, wings that have essentially determined championship level outcome to now it's, it's to the point where we're in the NBA unless you are one of those guards, like you you need to be plus sized essentially at, at any position to hold to what the average standard is in the NBA and to actually keep your job on both sides of the ball. That that's where the league has shifted and that's where a lot of the thinking has shifted. But I do want to caution against people who are trying to get too cute or too smart for this conversation, right? So So Brandon Miller, for all the positives that we can talk about, He's six foot nine. I mentioned mm-hmm. the, the the two-way equity that he can bring to the table potentially at the NBA level. Is he that superstar type of talent, though, that you're really going to stand up in front of the room and effectively say that he may very well be worth the number one pick in this draft? Because if Victor Wembanyama was not in this draft class, you'd be talking about Brandon Miller versus Scoot Henderson at the, at the very top. Mm-hmm. So you're going to... Tell me effectively that Brandon Miller may potentially be worth the number one overall pick that he's shown that much to where he can be one of these superstars that can carry a team to championship heights. Or is he much safer as a supporting piece where maybe he's not the number one player, but if he's one of your two through four best players on your team, you're much closer to winning a championship than somebody who doesn't have one or two of those Brandon Miller type of pieces. I think that is ultimately where he aligns Mm -hmm. and where this conversation has shifted is that evaluators and, and scouts feel much better about even if that's the outcome and that's the type of player I end up with, with the number two pick in the draft. I feel better with that outcome than if I take Scoot Henderson and Scoot Henderson doesn't reach his ultimate ceiling, which in my opinion, and I think to an extent your opinion, Stephen, we were giving him as high of praise as like a CP3 2.0 type of comp, like like an, an absolutely ridiculous comp for a guard to live up to. But we've seen the talent in multiple areas. And I'm, I'm not going to talk about a ton of the, the physical, the athletic stuff, the, the episode I have coming out tomorrow. I think Chuck actually does a great job of breaking down just what makes him physically special as a guard from an athletic standpoint, but the way he processes the game, what he sees on both sides of the ball. The one thing that jumped out to me and, and Steven, I don't know if you'll agree with me on this or not. The game never looks hard for Scoot Henderson. I have never once watched the game that he's played in. And I'm like, that looked really tough for him. Even if he took what we would consider a tougher, a contested shot, even if he was trying to navigate through two, three guys in traffic, even if he was trying to thread the needle with some ridiculous uh, pass that he was trying to make out of a set, he's inventive, he's creative, he sees a lot, he tries things, they don't always work. 
But at no point am I watching the game, and I think this is hard for him. Mm-hmm. We've seen things be hard for Brandon Miller at the college level. We know that for a fact by the numbers. He's been an excellent spot-up and transition player, but he's rated out as the in the 30th percentile in terms of scoring as the ball handler out of pick and roll, 43rd percentile in terms of isolation scoring. He's improved that at-rim number to where he's up to the 43rd percentile finishing at the rim. That was lower at different points throughout the season, which is where we saw a lot of the criticisms come from. I just question if he's going to be that takeover type of shot maker and also hold his weight on the defensive side of the ball to where you're looking at him and you're like, yep, that's the best guy on a championship level team. And even Steven, even if it is a wing dominated league, you can still have a guard like a Scoot Henderson or a John Morant, or just go on down the list. Donovan Mitchell, Darius Garland. Like, there's there's more that I didn't mention earlier. Like, a lot. Be the second best player on a championship team, and in a number of nights in the playoffs, all the way through the finals, you've seen these guys even have a number of games where they're the best player on that team and really impact winning and success. And for me to sit here and turn down drafting that player at number two to try and make what I feel is a safer bet with Brandon Miller, who, by the way, and we're saying all of this, he's not a bad player. Like no, we, you, you and I, not. you and I agree. We're open for debate. We want to have discussion. We want to have conversation. If somebody brought a men Thompson to the table is like, we have a scoot versus a men debate absolutely like let's talk it out i'm not going to agree with you but but let's Maybe. talk it out in case i'm missing something and i really need to go back and rethink parts of my evaluation we are more than open and willing all of us in no ceilings to have these conversations and to engage in the debate but for me to definitively say here after i've come to an end point in both of their evaluations and say that i'm going to pass on the guy who has a ceiling to where if he reaches it who by the way scoot henderson is as bit of motivated to reach that ceiling as any other player I've ever evaluated. We've seen all the interviews, Steve. We've heard him talk to people. Everything he does on and off the court is about making himself a better basketball player and or a better person. That's the type of leader that I want to bring into my locker room. So given all of these different ingredients, I'm going to choose Scoot Henderson with a number two overall pick. The vast vast majority of the time now there's there's two situations i can look at in this lottery two different teams i can look at and say you know what if you really want to go the route of a brandon miller because you truly believe in the pieces you currently have in place on your team i can much so understand it those would be charlotte with Lamelo ball now i think those two could coexist We've seen time and time again in the NBA, great players figure out how to play with other great players, but there would be some adjustments. There would be some growing pains. Maybe you would have to have a conversation a few years down the road. Do we have to move off one of these guys, figure out who's better to lead our team moving forward, and then try and and, and reconfigure some of the pieces? If, if If you don't even want to approach having the tough conversations, getting creative on offense, or you, you, you would rather build your team around one of those ball handlers and then put more versatile size, wing, depth, whatever, however you want to build that lineup. That's the direction you want to go. Fine. Go that direction. And ball and has other, injury history too, by the Lamella way. Lamella ball has an injury yeah. history too. And honestly, 
Scoot versus LaMelo Ball, I think Scoot's a better prospect than LaMelo Ball was, and I would take Scoot Henderson to lead my team. If it really came down to you got to trade one of those two guys. But, again, it's one of those situations I can look at it. Fine. If you want to make that argument, go for it. The other one would be the Portland Trailblazers. They're Mm -hmm. just – they're locked into Damian Lillard at this point, and rightfully so. They're a small market team. They're not a big player in free agency. They can trade Damian Lillard. What is the likelihood they're going to get another star of his caliber – um to to replace him on that team like we can say that for all for the high ceiling we think scoot has and and i do believe he's going to reach it damian lillard as brad usher one of my favorite guys in the nba space post the other day he has a statistical argument as a top 10 point guard in nba history so Mm -hmm. given how beloved he is to that city to that franchise how he genuinely wants to be there yep We've got to stop saying that they need to trade him or he needs to go somewhere else to, to get a ring. It's not going to happen. It's done. The conversation's over. They have him. They have Anthony Simons. They have Shane Sharp. All three of those guys either deserve to have the ball in their hands or you want them to have the ball in their hands at different points throughout the game to get reps to continue to develop. So those two situations, fine. Make the Brandon Miller argument. Detroit, Cade Cunningham, Jay Nivey. I think all three of those guys could play together, share the ball, figure out how to do it. They can space, they can attack, they can cut. You can run them off of different sets with each other. You can run uh, really fun pick and roll actions, maybe like Scooter Ivy's the ball handler. You get Cade in there as the screener. You have Jalen Dern waiting at the dunker spot. You, you You can do a lot of different things within that offense with those three guys. And at the end of the day, I would much rather have three guys who can handle the ball exceptionally well, make plays for others and score than even just two in the lineup. So Houston, we know they need an upgrade at point guard, not just at, not just from the position. They need an upgrade in leadership, period, yep. in that franchise. And it would start in the locker room with Scoot being drafted for, for that team. The San Antonio Spurs, Trey Jones, Devontae Graham, and Blake Wesley are not going to stop me from taking Scoot Henderson, even if I might not like even some of the, the, the scalability and the fit with having a lineup with like all of Malachi Branham, Kelton Johnson, Dem Vassell, Brandon Miller, whatever the case may be. I'm going to take Scoot Henderson for that franchise. The Orlando Magic. I get you want the ball in Powell and Franz's hands, but none of Markel Fultz, Jalen Suggs, and Cole Anthony are going to stop me from drafting Scoot Henderson if I feel that he can be a great fit with those two other pieces that you have in place, which, oh, by the way, I think he would. I think taking the ball out of their hands a little less and giving them easier opportunities to score within the flow of the offense from arguably the best setup guard that we have in this entire draft class, I might actually want that for my Mm -hmm. team. The Indiana Pacers, him and Halliburton Mm -hmm. able to play together, and then you can throw in either one of Andrew Demhart or Benedict Matherin, depending on who's sitting or whatever the case may be within the flow of the game. Oh my goodness, that many plus ball handlers who are high-level decision-makers. Halliburton can play with anybody. I also believe Scoot Henderson can play with anybody. Maybe yeah. maybe that's just too uh, uh, too simple of a line of thinking because everyone's looking at Scoot Henderson like he's this guard that has to have the ball in his hands for 35% usage or else he's not going to work. I think you would disagree with that notion. I certainly disagree with that notion. He I played with he can- Hardy and Beauchamp last year. I, I think he can split reps and still find ways to thrive and succeed and make everyone else around him better in the NBA. And then Washington, New Orleans, Utah, Toronto. I, yeah, take Scoot Henderson, please. Take who you feel yeah. is the best player available. And the last argument that I will make 
Steven, in, in this. If you truly feel that Brandon Miller, again, is that top-tier number one potential guy and you feel that he's a better player than Scoot Henderson and that's the argument you've come to after doing thorough analysis and evaluation, fine. Have Scoot Henderson behind Brandon Miller on your board. Argue for Brandon Miller to be taken number two overall. Take that into your war room. If you're going with Brandon Miller because of the, the positional fit and you think that's the way the league's moving and you want to get too cute with it, I just caution you on that line of thinking, especially if you're projecting what an NBA team's going to do, because 12 out of 14 of those situations, I personally, given where I'm at with Scoot's talent, I'm not arguing against taking somebody like Scoot Harrison. So I would just, I would just caution everyone out there who's making the arguments and, and, and interacting in, in all of these different debates with other scouts and evaluators Make your arguments for the, the right reasons. Don't just try and fall back on one thing because that might not be as true as you think it is. And that's that's my big rant, Stephen. Yeah, uh, the only thing that I think that we haven't discussed in this whole thing, and then we can transition if you're ready, Nathan, is that Scoot, two years of experience in the G League, still younger than Brandon Miller. Yep. And... We saw Scoot go up against the hands-down number one pick in this year's draft, toe-to-toe with him, was not afraid. And in their matchup where they both played together, I would argue that Scoot outclassed Victor Wimbanyama. And uh, I know that that was earlier in the year, but in a in a matchup where stars collided, you could, if you want to say that Victor did better, they both well, they, well, so, so they, they both, both knew that, like, whatever the outcome was for that game, that was going to heavily impact their draft stock. Maybe yep. not in terms of Scoot leapfrogging Victor for the number one pick, but I think Scoot holding down yep. that number two spot over others. If, if that was his chance on national television in front of over, what did they say, 200 scouts, including a few of our guys at No Ceilings, yes. but over 200 scouts were in attendance at that game to watch that matchup. And you saw when the lights were brightest, Scoot did everything in his power to take it to Victor, I would say by the end, I thought Victor was the the better performer of the two. But for what four fifths, five sixths of that game, to your point, like Scoot was absolutely taking it to him, and that G League Ignite team looked fantastic going up against yes. it for for my money the 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 next generational prospect since you know go back however long you sure. want to go back, but like. You know the the LeBrons, the 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 Lucas, like that's the type of class of prospect that Victor's in, and Scoot Henderson was able to be like, uh, you may be looking at me as like the the Zion Jaw, the the Anthony Davis level of prospect, yeah, but that's good enough to hold down the fort and get wins against other really great players, and that's what he showed that night. Absolutely. So if anybody's kind of curious as to like how he performs against top top level players like unfortunately we didn't get that with brandon miller right and in, in his last march madness game against texas a&m corpus christi he was 05 you know yeah so so first first game in this tournament which by which we're, we're not saying this because we feel the tournament is the end all be all evaluation no absolutely i don't, don't want to hear any of that out there but his first tournament game zero points over five shooting five rebounds three assists three turnovers three fouls his second game he did score 19 points Yes, but it was on seventeen shots, seven rebounds, no assists, one turnover. So his impact so far in these first two tournament games 
has not been felt to me in the way that I would feel comfortable saying I can argue for this guy being the number one overall pick in the draft. I do think he's done enough to hold down number three. I will finish with Brandon Miller, number three on my board. This is no knock to him, but I just think if we're tearing off these prospects, I would have Victor in his own tier. Mm -hmm. Then I would have Scoot in his own tier. And then mm-hmm. I would have all of Brandon Miller, Jarris Walker, Cam Whitmore, and the Thompson Twins in their tier. That would be the next tier on, on my board. And I think Brandon is at the top of that tier. Jarris is looking super Jairus nice. Jarris looks <laughs> monstrous. He, he, I, we've had a few people in, in, in our playback stream actually bring up the idea of Jarris maybe being the number three player in this draft. I've toyed with it. I've had that on my big board. Like I said, I think Brandon's are in that spot. Yeah. But Jarris, yesterday, as you're talking about, was the perfect example of even if he's not dumping in 20-plus points and, and, and filling up the stat line in that regard, he's going to get you the rebounds. He had six blocks in that game. He was putting a lid on the basket, showing you defensive versatility, timely playmaking, just being in the right spots, knowing what to do at all points throughout the game. That's what I've seen. And then I also had the luxury of, of, of being front row with, with our own Corey Tulliba temple against houston seeing jaris's best shot making game of the year and i can just see the type of player he can be where he has a baseline floor of i'm going to impact every single game that i'm on the floor for with the upside of i could very well turn into one of these awesome mismatch scores people can't deal with me on the block well they can't necessarily deal with me when i pull them out away from the basket either so that you know he scares me like legitimately yeah. terrifies me that fast break little uh, dump off pass that he had where he was running full speed at the defender and still had the finesse to the little fingertip pass and step out of the way to, to not draw a charge. I was like, Oh my goodness. I would be so scared if I saw Jairus Walker run at me full speed. Jairus is awesome. And then I I know we will have a deeper discussion at some point when we get Maxwell back about Cam Whitmore. I actually think Cam Mm -hmm. Whitmore's had one of the most underrated seasons as a prospect. Nobody wants to talk about him because he was on a, a dumpster fire Villanova offense. Mm-hmm. But go back and watch the tape, look at the numbers, break down his impact individually and what it can mean for projecting him forward at the mm-hmm. NBA level. There is a discussion for him being literally in that same group. Like, could we argue Cam Whitmore over those two guys for, for number three overall? It, it's going to be fascinating I love if we this get draft. closer to the draft. Yeah, it's, this, this is going to be great. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Top of the draft. Really quickly before we moved on to some of the college stuff, Stephen and I wanted to touch on Leonard Miller from the G League Ignite because he kind of fits into this conversation given where Scoot has played his games. Yeah. This guy's played 38 games on the air, Stephen. 30 minutes a night, 17 points per game, 10 rebounds, just under two assists, 1.8 combined steals and blocks, 1.9 turnovers, almost 54% shooting from the field. For all the crap we want to give him about his three-point shots, still has shot 30% from the three-point line and 79% from the free-throw line. Now low volume on both threes and free throws attempted. That's definitely a part of his game where we do want to see continued development. But 
74th percentile in terms of total offense, 50th percentile in terms of total defense. And oh, by the way, he is an athletic six foot 10, 210 pound forward who I can see pretty easily given his body composition. I could see him getting up to like 225, 230, no problem, mm. like four, five years down the road. I think he's going to have that weight put on him safely. That bulk's going to be there. That's only going to further his case as this sort of do it all. I'm going to muck everything up forward who we know locked in double digit rebounds every night, locked in defensive effort, positional versatility on that. And he moves his feet really well. He's quick. He's agile. He can recover. He started to handle the ball. He started to make decisions better, especially in transition. He can drive. He can get his own offense going to the basket. He's even shown some some really nice touch in the mid-range area, like along the baseline. He's gone to these nice little floaters that he's been making with little problem. I get that he's not the most traditional floor spacer, Steven, mm-hmm. but the difference between where we were at on him last draft, which you and I actually got on a podcast to say that we had him in like the, the 45 to 60 range yeah. on our boards, the difference between then and now is – yeah, the shooting's still a little bit of a mess. We're, we're relying heavily on a projecting touch, not just overall shooting efficiency. Sure. But he's added way too many other pieces to his game at his size with his athleticism, his speed, his mobility, his fluidity to where are, are we sure Leonard Miller's not a top 20 pick? And, and that's an argument that some other people have been, been making shout outs to some of the guys over at switch theory. I know they've been very much so on the Leonard Miller train saying, why can't Leonard Miller be like a top 10 pick? I don't know if I can get there, but I think when you start breaking out, you know, the, the 14 through 20 range on, on your board and you're trying to look for guys who we feel are going to stick around the NBA for a long time because of the things that they do, the the baseline and production that they give you on a night to night basis, why am I not considering Leonard Miller for that conversation? I, I don't know where you're at on his game. I know you just wanted to get a few words in on him. Yeah, so I just want to just do a real quick this or that with you, and it's not to do like all 20. It's just kind of positionally. So I was potentially going to do the same thing with you just going down a big board, but yeah, go go for yeah. it. And I just want to kind of do it positionally. So Jarris Walker or Leonard Miller? Jarris Walker. Okay, Cam Whitmore or Leonard Cam Miller? Whitmore. Taylor Hendricks or Leonard Miller? Taylor Hendricks. Gigi Jackson or Leonard Miller? We're getting to the point where I'm going to say Leonard. I I think by the time we do another board, I'm going to say Leonard Miller. So if you truly believe in Leonard Miller over Gigi Jackson, then yes, you should have him in your top 20. I think that Gigi, as much as we want to say that the Instagram video like didn't really do too much to hurt his stock, I really think it did. I think that that was like the, the kind of flag like planting the flag and how you were going to feel about him moving forward. Not you, but like us as a draft community, right? So it was that. And I also think just given what he's shown us on tape this year, despite some of the brilliant flashes of pull-up shooting, the way that he can, you know, do, do essentially a 180, come back, set himself perfectly with his footwork and then get that jump shot up. Like some of the things he can do on tape, everyone's shared the clips. They're, they're awesome, but he's also wired to play the game that way. To yeah. where if he's going to fit within the construct of the NBA, chances of him actually being that type of guy who takes those shots on a regular basis for an NBA team, they're much slimmer than people think. I don't know if he's going to have that level of freedom when he comes into the league. So he's going yeah. to have to play the game differently. He's going to have to rewire himself 
a little differently. If if he can do it, then we know what kind of athlete he is at six foot nine. We know how his body will continue to fill out. But just given how he plays and what he will need to do to change and adapt his game to be the best version of himself that we think he needs to be in the NBA, that seems like a scarier bet to make than it was preseason and the the, the lack of maturity right now for somebody. And he's very young. But yeah. the, that Instagram video, like you pointed out, like that was another red flag. Like this is just another example of why this may be harder to project than we initially thought. Well, I so at first I was mad about the video too, but the more I watched it and – I think that speaks to like how much he really does care. You know what I mean? It, it was like, a, it, it was a genuine cry for like yeah. I need legitimate opportunity to see where yeah. this team can go. Put it on. I don't my think shoulders. it was like a. I don't think that it was him not caring about game, him not caring about winning, him not caring about performance. But like the best basketball players want the ball in like the toughest and most difficult moments, right? They do. Like, and but it's got know, it's got to be done a different way. The and I agree. Of the game. I agree. But you know what was funny about how you were saying that how he's playing now and how he needs to improve is vastly different and it's going to be very hard for him to do. You know who we were talking about like that last year? Leonard Miller. Like Leonard Miller was like a step back, uh, pull-up, dribble, jumper, three-point shooter for playing in Canada last year. And now he and has who adapted to playing tra- a role. Yeah. Yeah, who completely transformed his game. He went from being like, okay, he's 6'10", 6'11". We don't really know much about him, but he can do a pullback uh step back triple three that might be worth being in the 40 to 50 range in this draft class now he's like a, an incredible rebounder screener roller like slasher to the basket like transition threat so we saw that with leonard miller right and yeah. what was what's crazy is that like you pointed out gg is supposed to be in high school right now like he reclassified came up went to a team and he got everything that he ever wanted. Sometimes, like, the worst thing for us to get is exactly what we want. And I think Gigi lived through that. Now, that can either plummet him or that can be, like, the the motivation that he needs to, like, improve as a player, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that he's going to do the wise thing and go and get feedback. He might stay in the NBA, but the raw potential that he has, the age that he – like. Guys his size are not supposed to be able to do the things that he does, nope, right? Absolutely and, not. And, and NBA teams are going to look at that. So I think if you're at that point now where you look at Gigi and Leonard and you're saying, I might take Leonard above, then yeah, have him in your top 20. I, I have him in this like incredibly, like, I think that the case for going 20 to 25 to 35 now, that little range of prospects is a lot deeper than it was like, say, a month or so ago when we we're starting to see guys like, Derek Lively starting to come up into contention now. Like there's other players in that little mix that are starting to make cases and names for themselves um, that I don't think a lot of us were kind of expecting. We're going to talk about Derek Lively in a second, but. Yeah. So I think that Leonard has made a case to be in that like 25 to 35 range. And I think that that speaks volumes to the improvement, especially the production that he's showing in a league like the G league. Um, he has climbed up my board. I just don't know if I'm ready to say that he's a top 20 guy, which this class is very deep at that, like 12 to 23, 24 range. Sure. Sure. And I think the bringing up Gigi and using him as a comparison to Leonard was, was fascinating and and a great move by you as a podcast co-host. But what I've said on this podcast repeatedly is Gigi's going to need a specialized developmental plan. He needs to go yeah. to the right situation more than almost any other prospect who we were once projecting as a top 10 pick. I do not feel that same way about Leonard Miller anymore. 
because the, no. he has embraced being that that garbage guy, do it all. I'm going to do the little things, and those are going to be what speak for my game. And when I get opportunities to do more, I will take advantage of those opportunities, and I will show you that I can do more, but I'm not going to put that eagerness to be more of than what my role has been in front of I'm making sure it, it's it's like it's like you're doing a checklist at the beginning of the day. I'm going to yeah. make sure every single day I'm going to do this, this, and this. And Leonard's known that if you do all of these things, it's like a kid. You get to have some free time after you go through your checklist, right? Your your daily <laughs> yep. chores list. But Leonard's not putting that freedom ahead of making sure that his responsibilities gain the game are taken care of. And that I that development, that, that that maturity, Beautiful. that coming of age. That's exactly what you and I wanted to see from Leonard Miller coming into this year. It's why he needed another year to not enter the draft. Maybe that's an argument for Gigi needing another year. I agree. I, I think he's going to stay in the draft. I 100% agree with you. I couldn't could not see him going back to college. I I think going to the Ignite would actually be a, a great situation for somebody like Gigi too. I don't I don't Pressure think he could do that. Yeah. But yeah, it, it's going to be really fascinating to see where where Gigi goes again. Top ten talent in this draft without question mm -hmm. i just don't know where it's going to end up and, and i know a number of of scouts and, and evaluators who have done this for longer than you and i have who also feel sure. that same way and and, and they, they don't they wouldn't feel comfortable about drafting him and that's just kind of where i'm at now but leonard swung that conversation into the other direction i would draft him i would want him on my team i also have to think about where i would order him on my board Maybe he's mm -hmm. not right there in the top 20 by number, but in terms of potential value that I'm just cooking up right now in my head, which is why I need to do some adjustments, I can absolutely see him returning top 20 value in this draft like five to 10 years from now, being one of those guys that sticks around because he plays the game and does it with the right reasons in mind. And the fact that we can ask this question about Leonard Miller is showing, one, the improvements that he's made um, as a person, as a basketball player. And two, we all said that we thought that Leonard Miller going to the G League was probably the best move that he could have made. And the G League is showing why that, although it hasn't yielded like a, a face of the NBA yet, because it's only in its second year of existence, it's showing that a player can come in there and improve, get better at an NBA level, yep. and make a case for them to earn a living in the best league um, in all of sports, in my opinion. So many prospects, so little time. We, yes. we still haven't touched on a lot of the NCAA tournament stuff. Honestly, I, I think as of where we sit now, and, and the Sweet 16 and Elite Eight should yield different conversations. As we sit right now, the two biggest storylines to me from a team and NBA draft pick perspective were both Duke and Arkansas. So Duke has actually lost in the second round. They, they, they are going home. Arkansas... Mm -hmm has won two, two, I think the two most difficult games to start the tournament of any team in the field. They had to beat an Illinois team, which for, for all yeah. that they've been up and down in the Big Ten, still an incredibly talented and experienced bunch in comparison to the Arkansas roster. And then they, go, they had to go knock off the defending champion Kansas Jayhawks, who also have plenty of experienced talent. They were a number one seed, and there were plenty of people. A favorite them. to win. Yeah. there were plenty of people who picked them as a team who could absolutely win the national championship. So I don't think any other team in the field has gone through more challenges and difficulties in terms of their first two game, the game opponents 
than what Arkansas has done. So they're moving on in the Sweet 16. Steven, I, I will give you the, the opportunity to choose. Which team do you want to start with? you want to start with Duke or you want to start with Arkansas? Let's start with Duke because okay. their season is over. Okay, so let's let's talk about some of the prospects on Duke's roster. So Duke beat Oral Roberts in the 5-12 game. Then they lost to a very physical, well-coached, defensive-minded Tennessee team who, yep. if you've watched Duke basketball over the years, whenever they have to play a very physical, defensive-minded team, they just seem to crumble under the pressure and they, they just don't know what to do. That's, that's just, that's been the theme for Duke basketball. They haven't quite been able to get past it other than the years where they've actually won the national championship. So I would have picked Duke to win that game. I did pick them to actually make Me it too. all the way to the elite eight, but they got upset uh, against Tennessee. So now we're in a position where Derek Lively, Derek Whitehead, Tyrese Proctor, Kyle Filipowski, they're going to have to make some, and Mark Mitchell, they're going to have to make some difficult choices in terms of do they come back to school or do they enter into the NBA draft? So out of those names, Stephen, between these two tournament games and between what you've seen from everything else in the season, who is your top-ranked Duke prospect and why? I'm still going to go with uh, Derek Whitehead, and here's why. Um, was the highest ranked prospect on my board from Duke coming into the year. Um, a clearly um, defined top 10 guy dealt with injury, which sucks because you kind of have to lean more to the high school film. We've learned that over the past couple draft classes, that there's at least always one player yep. that you have to go back and look at their high school film and have to hang more of your, your hat on that than what they're showing in college. So Dealt with injury, come back. Questions about athleticism. Question about defense. Sound familiar with AJ uh, Griffin last year? Um, but as the season has progressed, Duke quietly went on like a 9-10 game win streak at the end of the year, which for Duke, it's weird that they can do anything quiet, but they assembled an, a nice little win streak towards the end. And did Derek show everything that he had in his gambit that we expected coming into the year? No, but what he did show was reliable three-point shooting, even mm-hmm. in some tough tournament games. Um, still reliable three-point shooter. Still showed the ability and the willingness to cut to the basket. And I think as the season progresses, we started to see that athleticism that we were kind of dreaming of at the beginning of the year starting to work its way back in. And Nathan, mm-hmm. you know that my philosophy with the lower body injury is you got to wait two years. So now that we're starting to see things kind of return back to normal now, I think that's going to impress enough NBA teams to where – he has to be, in my opinion, a top 20 draft pick because of what we what we thought he was going to do coming into the year. He had to deal with injuries. And the way that he has kind of come on later in the season, working his way back from the injury, very promising. And again, it's if it's a wings league, we gotta we gotta lean on uh Derek Whitehead to be, in my opinion, the best prospect coming out of Duke this year. I would agree with you. And I wasn't there not not too long ago, even as as Long as two weeks ago, I, I yeah. wasn't there. I had Derek Whitehead just outside my top 30 because I still had enough questions. And then I started to actually go back before the tournament and watch some of the, the recent game film to close out the regular season. And now we've seen what he did in the NCAA tournament, I believe, against Oral Roberts. Uh, mm-hmm. Whitehead was still coming off the bench, but finished 5 of 7 from the field, 3 of 3 from three-point range, so 13 points, 4 rebounds. And then against Tennessee... He was two of five from the three-point line to go with eight points, two rebounds, and two blocks. So 
the, the numbers aren't necessarily showing the impact that we think he could have at the NBA level. But to your point about the athleticism, the lower body injuries, I wasn't necessarily concerned with the shooting or the yeah. lack of efficiency. I think we've all thought that the shot was going to be there. The shot making potential was real. To me, he was an abysmal defender yeah. earlier in the year to the point where I know that was a major gripe for a lot of us about AJ Griffin last year was he just really didn't look like he was going to play the part of an NBA defender. I think Tariq Whitehead's been worse than what AJ Griffin was as a defender last year. I, I've started to come back around to that a little bit now with, with some of these tournament games. And as you mentioned about going back to the high school film and really counting on that to be a, a major thing we point to and go, yeah, but this is what he was mm -hmm. just a few years ago. You know, Tyler Metcalf talked to us multiple times about the, the junior season tape and then parts of the senior season yeah. defensive tape. Like he, he has been a legitimate, you know, wing defender. At, at the high school level, and we thought that given everything was going to work out for him, that would also be something that translates, making him a two-way wing, somebody who I ranked as high as number three overall yeah. on my preseason big board. It's been really tough to watch some of the results this year, certainly mixed, but we're starting to see more of that player come alive, and it's a reason why I would also, I, I, I believe at this current moment in time, rate him as my top Duke prospect, but Derek Lively's made it. A conversation. Yeah. This was another guy who I didn't have him as high as Whitehead preseason, but I had him <laughs> very comfortably inside my my top ten prospects coming Same. into the year. And now you're you're seeing the legit seven foot plus size, the fluidity, the mobility, the coordination, the rim protection, absolutely elite shot blocking, high level finisher around the basket, the short roll playmaking capability, mm -hmm. how he redirects the ball. The way that he plays hot potato for a big man is pretty impressive. You do not see that from guys his age a, a lot of the times. No, he may not be handling the ball in the half court and making a lot of fun passes off the move like an Evan Mobley or an Alperin Shengun, but just how he's able to essentially be a, a quick redirection hub. And then the, the threat of that opens things up for him in the role game as well. Cause if mm -hmm. defenses try to play too far up to account for that possibility, then he's going to slip by you, get all the way to the basket and finish the lob because nobody's jumping as high as he can to, to get that lob. The consistent rebounding ability, the effort's been much better this second half of the year. Lively also looks the part of a top 20 pick. So we're my, listen, my, my board's getting pretty crowded already, Steven, because I yeah. just rattled off three guys who I believe are top 20. Scoot Henderson and Brandon Miller are obviously top 20 guys to me. Where there, There's a lot of talent in this draft. I do think that once you get past like 25, the, the field gets pretty murky and I'm not sure that I would want a late first or even like an early second round pick in this draft. I think there's, there's a lot of guys could buy for those spots. I question if I would make the right decision, but I do think in terms of depth, this top 20, top 25 group of guys is, is, is pretty loaded. And I think overall will make for a decent rookie class, but those are my top two guys. I'm assuming Lively's also number two for you on that. Yeah. Team. Yeah, I mean, it, as much as we're talking about Whitehead with the highest upside, uh, I think that Lively is probably the safest to be um, in the NBA for a very, very long time as a at, at the bare minimum a rotational big man in the NBA. Um, that's not to say that I don't believe that Whitehead isn't doesn't have some level of safety either, but you could just like easily see everything that Lively has done, who was the number one player in this in his class, um, experienced a lot of lows early on in the season did not quit, did not give up, did not say, 
I'm going to sit here and pout in my role. As a matter of fact, I'm going to take this new role that I was not expecting coming in this season, and I'm going to be a star in the role. And that's what yep. he's done as the season has progressed. And I don't know of an NBA team, organization, scout, anything like that, that would look at him doing the things that he's doing right now um, and experiencing a little bit of adversity in terms of role and fit on Duke, if I'm being quite honest, and be like, yeah, I don't want that player on my team. Like, absolutely, Lively has earned a role as a rotational level big in the NBA, and that is worth at least being in the top 25 if we know that yep. there's only about 20 to 25 prospects every draft class that stick around in the NBA. Yep, and and I know that we're trying to do our jobs and project for the 2023 NBA yeah. draft, but now we've seen some people also come up and say, well, Tyrese Proctor might be the, the best long-term prospect on this Duke team, period, regardless of whether he does ultimately come out for the 23 draft, if he stays at Duke for another year, comes out for 2024. The type of game that he had today, Stephen, was yeah. a big reason and why I wanted to talk about him earlier in this year is keep an eye on him. He might potentially challenge for lottery status. Yep. And I, I don't think he was able to put enough together to really make that kind of a push in this draft. I think putting him up in debate against some of the other more established point guard prospects like a Jalen hood for example, mm -hmm. I, I can't get there with, with that kind of a debate. J JHS has just been too consistent for yep. what, even when he's been inconsistent, the, the top tier games that he's had, Proctor has not been able to match anywhere close to, to those top tier games. And I understand that Proctor, for, for all, uh, all intents and purposes, he was the best player on the floor for Duke yesterday against Tennessee, a really experienced, crafty defensive team. But I think another year of seasoning for him would do him some justice. But if this is the Tyrese Proctor we're going Oof. to get potentially all year next year, Steven, 16 points, six assists, two steals, perfect command over the game, still needs to continue to work on the three-point shot, but his pull-up shot making inside the line around the free-throw area extended, boy, he is a fun six-foot-five point guard prospect to talk about for the future. Is he your number three Duke prospect on, on your list, or would you still have Filipowski ahead of him because we're trying to project for this year? Where, where are you at? If, if I'm projecting for this year, I think it's Filipowski, but that's not to say that I'm taking anything that Proctor has done late in the year lightly because he has just been phenomenal in a lot of aspects. And Nathan, if you recall back to our conversations that we had about Duke at the beginning of the year, one of the, the key factors, in my opinion, for Proctor being a first round pick this year was him being the clear point guard over Jeremy Roach. That never happened at all this year, right? So Roach has proven to be kind of a more steady guard throughout the year, which yep. I don't think that a lot of us were really anticipating or expecting. And because of that, we've had to see Proctor kind of play more as an off-ball guard, which I didn't think really played into his uh, entry-level strengths coming into well, this year. Point guards and centers also have the most difficult position to come in yes. and develop into, regardless of whether you're mm -hmm. adjusting to the speed of the college game or certainly when you're getting up to the NBA game. So it may, maybe it was a surprise in terms of who's been the better player, but yeah. in terms of who's handled primary reps better between those two, I'm not surprised that it ended up being Roach. I just more so wanted to see the talent start to break through for Proctor. And I think by yeah. the end of this season, 
we've seen a lot of the talent start to poke through for him on on both sides of the ball. Well, he's been spectacular defensively, really yeah, all absolutely. year. That's, that's been the one thing no one has has wanted to talk about except for our defensive guru at Edno Ceilings, Tyler Metcalf. He's been very absolutely. high on on Proctor's defense, but now we're starting to see that two way potential shine through. I I guess I'm with you in terms of the whole Filipowski Proctor thing, but I also I. It's hard to find a seven footer that can move and do the things that Filipowski can do. Like that's really the biggest thing for me is like Proctor, like you said, another year seasoning, another year potentially being the primary creator for Duke next year would really kind of, he would be allowed to show out a little bit more, but Filipowski has like done some initiating and done some creative things on the block, on the perimeter at his size. It's just really kind of hard to find. So I've been trying to talk myself into Filipowski for that reason because he's seven feet trying to do the things that he does. I can't get there, yeah. Stephen. I'm not. I would. I don't not have draft. him in my first round, but I have. I wouldn't draft Kyle Filipowski. I would let another team take him, and if it if he puts all of it together, then then great. That team would would have really struck something with a seven footer who can do some of the things that he can do. Yeah. But I I I think the ball handling's clumsy, even though it's again it's a seven footer trying to do those things. But I do think it's a little clumsy. I don't yeah. think he he's coordinated enough off the bounce to get away with a lot of those same things at the NBA level. He's been a high volume, low efficiency player all yep. year. And then we certainly have questions about his overall defensive impact. So you're, you're, you're getting out of the box guaranteed. You're getting a guy who he can give you double digit rebounds mm-hmm. on a night to night basis. He can finish some really easy plays inside, mm-hmm. but Everything else he's doing away from the basket, other than some of those passing flashes, it can be pretty inconsistent on a night to night, or even in terms of whether it's going to translate to the NBA level at all. He's, I don't know. There's just something about me that I, I just don't think it's going to work in the way that that some scouts want to say that it will. I'm just lower, and I know that you said you had going to have him in the first round either, but yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm lower on Kyle Filipowski than most. And I just can't bring myself around to thinking he's going to be a bigger time NBA prospect. So like if, if we were doing these rankings in terms of just overall, where do we see these guys faring in the NBA? I think I'd probably still have, I'd probably still have Whitehead one lively two, although it's close. I could flip the two of them. Proctor's right there at three. Proctor could end up being the best out of all of them. By the time it's said and done, I think Mark Mitchell has a strong case to like long term. I would certainly can... have Mark Mitchell ahead of Filipowski. I think Mark Mitchell is going to be a next year guy. I think he will have a first round yeah. case next year. I love his versatility at his He's size. He's playing he... out of position at Duke right he now. Is. Like if if you look at him as a four, the the things that he can do, the defense, the floor spacing, the ball handling, the slashing as a four man. He has more he... skill than he's been able to show at, at, at Absolutely. This year. So, so I think that I I would have, I would have Lively, Whitehead, Proctor, Mitchell, all four of those guys, and and you can rearrange the order, but yeah, Filipowski to me is the worst prospect on this Duke team, and that that's just where I stand. I'm assuming you're you're probably in the same camp. Yeah, I think again, Mark Mitchell, like long term, might even be three. Um, Could be because of yeah, because of the depth at guard in the in the NBA, the depth at four in the NBA like Mark Mitchell might have more staying power and be like upper part of the like upper half of the top 30 um, power forwards in the NBA like that's how I look at it 
He could, and it's 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 tough to rank those guys like that because we're yeah. we're just so focused on one draft at, at this point. I'm not trying to to think about the 2024 draft, but I think Lively and Whitehead are pretty safe to come out. I think Proctor and, yes. and Mitchell would be better off to stay, and Filipowski were just questionable on his. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Impact, which brings us to Arkansas. Yeah. Again, your 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 hogs, Woo Pig, the Woo team pig. that is we're now in the sweet 16. We've talked about Anthony Black mm-hmm. and Nick Smith, and to an extent, Ricky Council all mm-hmm. year long, even some Trevon Brazil talk at the beginning yeah. of the year. We need to talk about Jordan Walsh. We Let's... really we 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 need to break this open because this guy, Steven, I I think he's done enough to be a first round pick this year. I I, I okay. really do. I'm I'm getting there. I've seen enough flashes on tape offensively to where I think he can start putting some things together within one to two years, whether that's a G League stint and then coming up to the NBA, maybe it's more reserved minutes on a team that will give him the opportunity to play some of those minutes, like like a Utah Jazz, who's probably not going to have too many immediate expectations, whatever the case may Ooh, be. If he gets in the right... In Utah. What's up? I would love to see him in Utah. Just oh, like seeing him in a, like a purple uniform like that would be probably one of the cleanest looks in the NBA. But he, I, I think he has real capability as a slasher on the ball. Mm-hmm. Like he, he can get downhill much better than people anticipate, especially when he's able to pull out a defender when he shows comfort taking those spot up shots. And oh, by the way, we saw him step into to one in transition in particular, step into it with confidence. Mm-hmm. The form looked good on that one, and he knocked it down. So if the he's results were good too. Yeah, yeah. If he's improving as a spot up guy, I think he's got real equity as a slasher, as a downhill driver. He can make decisions off of those drives as a live dribble pass. We've we've seen some of the passing flashes from him. They've looked good. We know he's a capable interior finisher springy athlete jump out of the gym athlete can be a lob guy can catch can cut can you can involve him in some really fun screen and roll actions i think in time as it continues to fill out and get stronger mm-hmm. and then all of the defense that you get with he's is he the i think he's the best perimeter defender in this draft class Man, I, I, I i would have I, to I don't say know. yes like case and wallace might uh have some words for you uh I, so, might have some words for you but uh, he's so, in the conversation. So Rupert, Rupert, I would put in that conversation. I got to be honest, dude. I've come down on Case and Wallace's defense. And this is something the feed's going to hear when, when I have a conversation with Chuck on okay. the podcast coming out tomorrow. When I watch Case and play defense, I get the instincts. I get the, the, the want to do some things on that side of the ball, like his chase down blocks. Like, oh, like I get all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. He just doesn't play big to me on defense. It seems a little easier than I thought. To, for guys to score over and through him at the college level. And I just wonder how much of that's going to play out at the NBA level. Is he going to be a guy who's going to fill out his body in a way of like a Drew Holiday to where he actually is this multi-positional defender that we think he is? Or is he much better suited being a guard defender? He can't necessarily scale up like we think he can, especially when it comes to the playoffs. 
and then just the 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 intermittent impact if he's not making plays on the ball and getting his team going in transition is he as impactful stopping shots and forcing people to miss as we think guys shot 40 over 42 percent against them this mm-hmm. year like for some of the guards that we could throw into this conversation who we wouldn't think of as stoppers like your boy Keontae George opponents shot 28.8 percent against Keontae, Keontae George this year. yeah so like I I'm coming down on Case and Wallace and and I've I've come to accept now as we're recording this podcast technically after when I did the one with Chuck for for home yeah. away I've come to now accept I'm going to be lower on Case and Wallace I think than a lot of people and that's just going to be something that I live with still like in the top 15 range on my board, but I'm starting to, to talk myself into a number of players, but I think that's more so not putting him immediately in the same range as Walsh. I think that's just because Kaysen does have legitimate offensive skill to, to lean into Walsh has to grow in that regard, but just given the defensive impact between the two, I, I would take Jordan Walsh, the, the athleticism, the physical tools, you have to take Jordan Walsh. And so, he can defend potentially four positions entry level in the NBA. Yeah. Like, and, and it's huge. And when he fills out his body and gets stronger, I don't think it's going to be out of the question, depending on who your five is. If you're in a small yeah. lineup, you could throw him on, on certain matchups in, in that regard. So like, I, I wouldn't peg him as, as a one through five defender, but he will grow into a one through four defender. And then depending on the specialized matchup, I could see him even scaling up past that so that that's the type of talent that we're talking about with Jordan Walsh the biggest sticking point to me has been with a number of guys repair included do they do enough on offense now to warrant the minutes to develop their game in the NBA and and for about 80 percent of the college season I would have said no with Jordan Walsh because there are absolutely games you can look up where he just disappears offensively You, you don't even know he's out there on that side of the ball. But this last fifth of the season and now in the tournament, it's not that I never felt his impact on either end night to night throughout the entire course of the season, because I did defensively, but now I really feel like he's leaving his footprint all over the game. And it's far too much to ignore given the tools and the upside that I could buy into to where if I'm a team in like the 25 to 30 range, I really have to look hard at, at Jordan Walsh and be like, maybe this is a guy we can stash away, put together the right developmental plan for him. And maybe he can earn some minutes just by default because of the defense. But as he grows more with the ball in his hands, as like a tertiary guy who's able to hit some more spot up shots as he continues to improve his three point game. Like this is the type of player that teams want to buy into to have in the playoffs we can give that label to a number of other prospects in this class but when we look at what actually fits the build defensively in terms of what wins in the playoffs jordan walsh is that guy more than a number of other prospects in that range julian phillips included i think jordan walsh Mm -hmm. to me is the player i think a lot of people think julian phillips is going to be I understand the, the the safety in feeling with his three-point shooting and what he's done from the free throw line is a better indicator of touch. But in terms of what I actually think those two are going to be in their careers and what we think they're going to be, I think Jordan Walsh is a better example of that player, to me, than Julian Phillips. So that's why I, I think Jordan Walsh has to be in the first-round conversation for me. I don't know if I'm going to – 
sometimes like just as an Arkansas fan, I typically like try to make myself lower on players to like check a natural bias. I got it. You're, I think... you're, you're about to try to, to, to bring me back down to earth here, but what's your points, but go ahead. So the jump shot is what's going to make the difference for Walsh, right? Like it's going to sure. make the difference. Like he's either going to be top Ocephalosha in the NBA. If he hits a, if he has a jump shot or he's going to be Andre Roberson in the NBA without a jump shot. Right. Um, he does try. And to me, like, that's why I still hold on to him being a draftable player in this year's class, as opposed to like Dylan Mitchell, who athlete defender hustles, all that stuff. But like, I've afraid- seen, I've seen Zippo with, with, with that dude offensively to where like, yeah, I, I buy you. He's doing- afraid to dribble. He's afraid to shoot. Whereas Walsh is like, okay. And maybe some of this is out of necessity because of the injuries to Nick Smith and, Trevon Brazil throughout the year, but he has like dribbled and he has been involved in like some motion handoff action. He has, he has been involved he, he, in the spot he, he up has, shooting ability. Yep. He has legitimate ball handling ability. He's one of these guys who has these long strides to get downhill, get to the basket. Like he, I'm afraid I, of his I, dribble a lot of times, to be honest with you, Nathan. Like there's a lot of times where like if he's attacking from the wing, like getting to an elbow, I do I do worry about like okay, what combination is he about to pull out here? Um, on the offensive end, but I th- the fact that he's like figuring stuff out, he's experimenting is, with it, and, yes. and now he's starting to make. I so I would agree with that, but he yeah. he is starting to figure some things out in that regard. Mm-hmm. I see much better command over his dribble where he's at now compared to where he was earlier in the year. And it's I love when I see prospects developing from the start of the year through till the end of the year they got to find a thing they got to find a move like everyone had like Jalen Pickett has a back you down to the right block turn around jump shot like that's that's the move like when you think Jalen Pickett you think that Jordan Walsh doesn't have like a thing on offense yet it's like his go-to that he's like he doesn't have that safety blanket but he's trying to find one right which is very encouraging for the development because as you said he is a tenacious defender right and that's what I think it puts him up in that upper second round conversation to me. And again, the the depth of this class is really talented. The depth is really showing through uh, a lot in my eyes. And depending on who decides to come back into a quote unquote weaker draft um, next year, that might have a lot to do with whether or not Jordan Walsh does go in the first round. Cause it's, if enough of these like second half first round picks who were projected to be higher, say, let me go back and improve my draft stock. Like Jordan Walsh could like find his way going into the first round and having the promise to improve a lot on the offensive end, like you said, with a a very intentional developmental plan while being able to come in entry level and guard three, four positions in the NBA. I uh, he's 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 quickly becoming one of my favorite prospects and in, in I love him, draft class to be honest. Like it's it's been pretty awesome to watch him continue to progress throughout the year. We, we've talked enough about Anthony Black, and I kind of want to save some of his conversation for when we get Maxwell. He's 10th on my board. Back on the show. Okay, so yeah. he's ninth for me. So we're, we're about in the same place. I have JHS ninth. Yes. Oh, <laughs> we <laughs> will. We'll, 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 yeah, we'll get to talking about him on, on another episode as well. I do want to get your thoughts on on the last two guys. And when I say last two, Brazil, we 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 just don't know enough about what a situation is going to look like. We we legitimately don't know. We he could keep his he could he could declare for the draft, he could keep his name in it. A team could very much so take him with the idea yeah. that like he's got to keep rehabilitating and then we'll kind of see where we're at. He could come back to Arkansas for another year because I think Musselman's gonna just keep bringing in big time talent to that program. Mm. 
good news for a fan like yourself. He's um, reportedly Taron Armstrong is uh, getting calls from Arkansas. I would love to see that. We we do need to talk about though Nick Smith and then to a lesser extent Ricky Council. Um, yeah. I'm very curious where where you're at right now with Nick Smith because I about a week and a half ago I I came to the conclusion where I I'm dropping him out of my lottery. I just do not feel safe taking him in that range anymore. We had our mock draft meeting to where our latest no ceilings mock on no ceilingsnba.com. We picked him 20th to yeah. the Miami Heat. I'm seeing multiple people. Uh, such as Sam Ferris over at Draft Dummies. So, like, he's not a top 20 guy for me anymore. Like, he is yep. falling, falling, falling. And then, oh, by the way, he's not helping himself in the tournament. First game against Illinois, he was 2 for 10 shooting. Second game against Kansas, he was 0 for 4. Just struggling to... How many find... minutes in Kansas? How many minutes? So, against Kansas, it was 16 minutes. 16 and he minutes was healthy. against Kansas. 28 minutes, 28 minutes against Illinois. So, this is a guy... You put those two minute holes together. I mean, we're talking about guys barely played over 40 minutes across two tournament games to where beginning of the season projected top three to seven draft pick. You'd think if a college team's going to win with great success, they need their star recruit playing 38 to 40 minutes in an NCAA tournament game and, and, and know how far the mighty have fallen to where I would be shocked if he didn't keep his name in the draft and we don't hear him selected in the first round from yeah. some team who's still willing to buy in on the promise. I'm getting very close to the point where I don't even know if I would personally want to draft him. Okay. We're, we're, so Nathan, let's, I, I might've swung some, the pendulum too far, but I'm, I'm not saying I'm there, but I'm getting close. So may, maybe you're going to talk me out of it. Let's do some, this or that Kobe Bufkin or Nick Smith, Kobe Bufkin. And okay. we, that was a question we asked earlier. It was like two weeks ago. We were mm-hmm. all hesitant to say that definitively. I, I, I just think what, what Kobe Bufkin has as a finisher inside, I'm not sure Nick Smith's going to get there. So then you're talking about pure perimeter equity. You can buy Nick Smith's shot on a given night over Kobe Bufkin's, but I just think what Kobe Bufkin will give you reliably on a night-to-night basis he does not have to have some nuclear offensive outcome for us to justify where we're drafting Nick Smith. So yep. at this point in time, it's crazy because I didn't think Kobe, I didn't, just like Jordan Walsh, I didn't think Kobe Bucket was going to be a 2023 guy either. And then yep. you just saw the second half of the year, similar to like not not the same level that Malachi Brandon did last year, but like the second half of the year for Michigan, like Kobe, just, he just kept piling up point after points after points after points, and he was playing consistent defense all year long, rebounding the ball, getting better as a primary playmaker for that Michigan team. Like it just the, the snowball effect, and it just kept happening to where we can't ignore it anymore. Like so, yeah. I would actually, as of today, and again, I got to readjust my board. I I would take Kobe Bufkin over him. You know, another name I take over Nick Smith. I don't know if you're going to ask him. I was going to ask Sasser. I'm taking Marcus, Marcus Sasser, Sasser over, over Nick Smith. Yeah. And I was going to ask your Cravion Smith. I think that might, that might possibly be where the buck stops. I might still, okay. I might still take Nick Smith in a ranking over to Smith. I'm not necessarily wild about drafting either of them. Mm-hmm. I think that to me is the point where like, all right, the falling has to stop. This guy was an RSC top 10 guy. Like, Let's yeah. let's pump the brakes a little bit, but well, the so fact is where, yeah, so, well, <laughs> and Dylan Mitchell. Well, okay, but but even though Nick Smith hasn't done it efficiently, he's still racked up twenty points plus in multiple 
yeah. games in the SEC, and like it, it's 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 different. But yeah. the fact that we're choosing names, or I'm choosing names, like like a Sasser, Buffkin, or Hawkins over someone like Smith, mm-hmm. that that's a that's a precipitous fall. That's something I did not expect to to happen, Could- and that's kind of where we're at. Because if you're telling me that you're picking Buffkin over Nick Smith, to me that means that Nick Smith is not in your lottery now. And if no, you're telling not. me, and if you're, and if you're telling me you're picking Sasser over Nick Smith, that means that he's not a top twenty guy to you right now. In my I would opinion. Nick Smith's probably like that twenty fifth guy on the board. And that's what. And so if you were to pick Terquavion Smith over um, Nick Smith, to me you're like even yeah that would have meant like, that he's, he's like not even in the first round. Correct. So that's why I had to let the buck stop with with Traquavion. But yeah, e- even me saying him that he's 25th on my board compared to not too long ago where I viewed him as a potential top 10 pick. Oh, oh, how the mighty have fallen. But it's it's not just Steven. And we talk about this all the time, right? We want yeah. to value production when we evaluate for the draft, but it's more so about projection than just production. Not only has the production not been there, but I also can't get to a point where I'm projecting some of these things to get better. I just think some of these negatives and these deficiencies that he has are just baked into him. They're who he is. And okay. if they do, if they wouldn't change at the NBA level, if he's not able to better handle the physicality at the NBA, if he doesn't improve his finishing at the rim, if he does not improve his ability to want to hunt or draw contact, if he does not improve his decision-making and his ability to score out of the pick and roll, other than when he gets two feet in the paint, he tries to go to the floater. And even that's been hit or miss to an extent this year. We, we, we like it. We think it's a good shot, but even that hasn't been efficient by the numbers this year. If all he's going to be is a, a very volume three points slash volume long two guy who we're not even loving all those shots he creates we we addressed at the top of the podcast with Scoot Henderson how I, I never I never think the game's hard for Scoot. I've seen a bunch of shots that look pretty damn difficult for yeah. Nick Smith. And it, it it gives me cause to pause. He's not the level of athlete that we thought he was. I I don't love the frame. I get he has a little bit broader of shoulders, I think, than people would want to talk about, but the rest of his frame, man, it's 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 really narrow. I don't know yeah. how much bulk he's going to be able to add on. And then he's another one of these guys who's had injury concerns. Like the, all everything just snowballs as, as it did with Buffkin in the positive way. It's all snowballing for Nick Smith in a negative way. And mm-hmm. I get that the buck has to stop somewhere because at, at some point we have to look back at the, at the high school tape and what he did before he got to Arkansas and a lot of the injuries. But still, I, I, don't, I don't feel bad uh, about where I have him or where I would have them on a board. And I think a lot of NBA teams are probably going to come around to feeling the same way if they don't already. Yeah. And I, there's not much that I would disagree with anything that you said. I just, I feel like the injuries do play a part into like what we're seeing from him. I said in the, I said in the group chat, like a month or month and a half, two months ago, something like that, where, He's allergic to rebounding. Like at no point is he interested in. And trying to Corey, to... to Corey's credit, he brought up the like not only like the at rim finishing stuff wasn't there in mm-hmm. high school because the way he also wanted to avoid contact, the rebounding also was was never there in in high yeah. school. And he's not a uh like he's not like a lead passing guard either, right? Nope. Like another thing that Corey had pointed out to him. So it's hard, but 
to me, I think I would still kind of hang on to him like in that like 15 to 20, like like how you're saying, no later than like 25 range. But okay. the, the case is becoming, for him, it's less about like what he's doing and what he could be, right? And that's a scary place when you're analyzing uh, a prospect and projecting them moving forward when it's all hypothetical and there's no like foundation to your case for These... this year. These two tournament games should scare the shit out of talent evaluators looking at Nick Smith. He was he's held the, out. He was held out of that game in the, game. In the second healthy. half. Yeah, he was healthy. He was out of foul trouble. Yeah, Evo Davis carried that team. They benched him. Ricky yeah. Council carried that team, and Jordan Walsh defensively held Jalen Wilson in check. Like that, it had nothing to do with Nick Smith, like malingering or is, injuries or anything like that. He was just not performing. And he couldn't find ways to impact the game. Literally couldn't find ways to impact the game on either side of the ball. And Musselman is very much like a player empowerment coach. He is not playing yes. for one of these like rigid, like Coach Underwood. Like, nope, you you turn the ball over, I'm yanking you out of the game for seven minutes or Musselman whatever. Musselman like, will do the best thing for his team to win, but he will also give those players yep. every single chance to be the guys who are He's the a best motivator. the team. Yep. He's a motivator, and even he could not get to where he was like, all right, Nick, like, I, I really, I'm relying on you out there on the court. I'm trusting you. Like, even Musselman could not do that, and that's kind of his vibe. Like, that's kind of how he keeps getting such talented recruits like a Nick Smith Jr., because he trusts them, and he builds relationships with them. So Ricky Council's technically the last prospect that I wanted to talk about on this podcast. And then after that, unless you had just any other tournament shout outs you'd want to give, but so Ricky Council, six foot six junior wing for Arkansas, 16.1 points per game on the year, 43.6% shooting from the field, 26.8% from three point range, 78.9% from the line. One of the funkiest players that we have in this draft, man, like, I get that he, I think by default, just by the production, by his size, his build, where the NBA is at in terms of positional value, like he has to be a top 50 guy. Mm-hmm. I'm not eager to draft somebody like Ricky Council. There there are varying okay. opinions across the NBA draft landscape. Like some people have him as like a top 20 guy. Some people have him as a definitive first rounder. Some people have him pretty comfortably in like a 30 to 45 range. And then you have some people like me, her, he might still get there, but I think as of right now, he's like outside of that top 45 range to me. And it's really because I just don't think his game translates to, to yeah. the NBA as it currently stands. So you mentioned how Ricky Council at times has carried that Arkansas team in some big games. Even yeah. so far in the tournament, he's done it in a very unconventional way, right? Like how many NBA teams are going to give him the same leash, the same volume for him to jack up 18 shots a game plus however many times he gets to the line if he's getting to the line eight nine ten eleven times how many possessions is he going to have the ball in his hands to to get the numbers that he's put up as averages in college you know what i mean like there's a difference between a guy who can get 16 to 18 points on it's not it's not that it's low volume but it's an easy way to project like yeah this guy's going to get the ball in those same situations in the nba he's probably going to be able to put up similar production if not better as he continues to develop with ricky council the the three-point shot's not there i don't think Mm -hmm. the three-point shot's going to be there so if it's not there and he's living off a heavy volume of mid-range and or i just need to get to the basket like 20 plus times i just don't know how 
how easily that can be replicated in the NBA, unless it's exclusively a team has him as like their seventh, eighth man on the bench and is like, all right, Ricky, here's 10 minutes, go cook. Just, just go make something happen for us. Keep the energy high because you're getting to the basket a lot because you're drawing fouls, keep the energy high. And then let, let's give the starters some time to rest. And then we're, we're going to Yankee and we're going to put the other guys in like that. That's the type of role I could see him playing at the NBA. Why am I valuing taking that with a potential first round pick? And that's just where I'm at. I you're not going to get much argument out of me on that front, man. Like even as a Razorback fan, as much as I've enjoyed the role that he's carved out on this team as a starter and a reliable starter, I wrote about him also at no ceilings, Go check it out. It's absolutely hundred percent free. Um, I wrote the piece seeking counsel and my biggest gripe with him is like how different the three point shot looks from the mid range shot where, Mm-hmm. On the midi, he is like effortlessly getting up. The form looks great. It's, the elevation on that mid-range yes, shot compared to the a three lot of base. unreal. Yeah. Yeah. From three, it's like all arms and it's very <laughs> flat. It's all arms and it's very flat. I don't know how, again, this might be more to like the player empowerment portion for, for Coach Muss, right? Where he's like, to hell with it. Like, we'll, we'll trust you in transition. Like, you throw down a dunk of the year candidate every game that you play in. Yep. And we're going to rely on you to get to the free throw line, which he's also really good at on his drives. His handling is good. His like kind of secondary tertiary playmaking instincts are, are fine for, for his position. It's just that he's going to be asked to do so much off of the ball. And the three point shot is like the biggest question mark. And for a wing in today's NBA, like that's not really going to vibe well. So it's got to be there it, 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 at this point. It, it, it has to be there because he's not, it, He's not providing enough plus yeah. value everywhere else, like a Walsh, for example, to where yeah. you're and he's you're not gonna... a stopper on defense either, to right. where like you're like he can't hang his hat specifically on that either. He has upside. Like I think yeah. he can he can play decently well there, but it's not it's not scalable and it's not consistent. So yeah, he's pretty limited, I would feel like, on the number of positions that he could defend, like on he's a like case a two, by case. He's like a two, three guy. Like, I don't even want I, I would say want exclusively him... two, like, depending on the three, like, maybe, sure. but he's not going to cover down on every three in the NBA, right? I don't, so, I don't want him getting switched in the post, and I don't want him at nope. the top of the key guarding a lot of ball screens. So, absolutely. So, to your point, like, could he be like back end of the rotation? Um, because he just is like a Derek Jones Jr. type where he could just like wow the crowd on on dunks and stuff like that and transition opportunities if he's in the right rotation, sure. But with he doesn't have the same length, defensive capability. He's he's a great athlete. Like there is a path for him to to find a way to be in the NBA for a couple of seasons, but the entry level stuff with him as a shooter just has me concerned. And again, he's pretty limited positionally on defense too. Yep. So Arkansas, a a, a great collection of college talent for sure. I think there are a number of pros on the roster. We we've, we've mentioned five different guys Mm -hmm. over under second contract NBA players on Arkansas roster. I'll set the over under a two and a half. At two and a half, Ooh, two and a half. Second, second year. I would say, I would say that Anthony Black and Jordan Walsh are second contract guys. I'll say over. I'll say that Trayvon Brazil finds a way. Um, if he doesn't declare this year and comes back for maybe another year, I think that there is an opportunity for him to be a second contract guy. I, by history, I would be encouraged to say the under. 
I think I will also I will hesitantly go over. Mm-hmm. It can be as high as four. It could be as low as two. I do agree with the the shoe ins. I do think Anthony Black and Jordan Walsh are our next contract guys. Yeah. Again, I feel much safer if Jordan Walsh came out next year and another one of these guys, but I just think what he's done, like he's, he's going to have too much buzz. I, I do think yeah. he's going to come out this year ultimately, but Steven, that was great conversation through. I love through that. That was a fun on show. This episode. This was, this was philosophy. This was current rankings. This was projection. We covered some of the tournament stuff. Mm-hmm. Any other shout outs you, you, you want to give and anywhere else be a tournament stuff or just any other draft thoughts in your mind? Uh, no, what I, I'll just go ahead and kind of start plugging some stuff, man. Uh, I know this upcoming Sunday, um, as everyone's listening to this, I will have like a Jordan Walsh um, piece, and it's going to be continuing on for my scout takes where I've asked like a number of different, you know, uh, NBA scouts outside of the No Ceilings family, just kind of their thoughts and opinions. Um, a couple weeks ago, I dropped one on Jalen Hishafino, and it was pretty well received, so my second one is going to be on a player that we just got done talking about a little bit, Jordan Walsh. So I'm really looking forward to that one dropping on Sunday. And, you know, again, just shout out to everyone who's been following everything that we've been doing, man. Shout out to Maxwell again, who couldn't be here on the show. He's been doing a lot of great work, man. And I'm just, I'm proud of to be a part of the draft deeper team, proud to be a part of the no ceilings family. And uh, just excited again, man, for everything that we got going down the pipe. Everyone at no ceilings has been working consistently they've been working their tails off i'm so proud of everyone who's done work and no ceilings lately so if you aren't tuned in if you aren't locked into what we're doing no ceilings you can find all of our written work find all of our podcast work on this very feed where you're listening to this episode no ceilings nba podcast feed you can follow us on social media at no ceilings nba and you can follow steven and i individually you can follow steven at on twitter at steven g hoops and you can follow myself on twitter at draft deeper and of course maxwell as steven alluded to he's doing all sorts of work behind the scenes follow him at Boundboards to make sure that you're up to date with all of his content as well but until we meet again you will find steven's piece on no ceilings next week you will continue to find my my round to round work on the ncaa tournament previewing matchups for prospects at no ceilings until we meet again though on the podcast feed Thank you all for listening, and I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your week.